Welcome to another episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me wandering the wilds of the internet as Walsfio, or occasionally I tweet from Onboard Games. Once again, we're recording here from scenic Polly's Island uh, in the hours before we get hit by a hurricane. Um, so we thought we'd send out one final message before the library was flattened and destroyed. This will not be quite so funny if that actually happens. I'm here today with... Chris Bell. And as you might all remember from a not-too-far-past episode, Chris is the new person on-site here at the Polly's Island Library, helping me out doing programming and activities for our teens and tweens. And we just started something new. Chris, what are we, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, well, we're talking about our weekly RPG, um, which is going to be a bit different than everyone just po- had the thought in their mind. Right, right. So uh, we, not too long ago, finished the Ravenloft campaign, and Chris was one of the players of that. And now that he's with us, we are setting up something that is a little less onerous on an individual GM, because Stephanie had to learn all of Ravenloft and keep all of us in line, and et cetera, et cetera. And we had people stop in and want to play from time to time who weren't necessarily ready or understanding what Ravenloft was all about. Uh, because Ravenloft is the great big story of gothic horror in a fantasy setting. And to that, we've we've come up with a plan, or a plan for a plan, or, I don't know, a bucket of ideas. Uh, where do we want to start, Chris? Well, um, I guess we'll start with where we started, Microscope. Um, right. So, so what? Why? what is Microscope, and why did we start there? So Microscope is a world builder. Uh, you build the history of a world from nothing, effectively. Uh, you start with the beginning and end of your period in time you want to focus on, and you start throwing events in the middle, uh, different scenes with different people, um, building nations, destroying them, cities, worlds. Um, and it's just a way to take a blank canvas and paint a entire world into it with the help of a few friends, um, and it's great because you don't know what you're going to end up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we had never done Microscope before, though I'd heard people talk about it previously. And it was a free download, and it looks like it's a legit free download, not like I just found it randomly on the internet. But we are going to probably, it also looks like there's a book which we'll be purchasing, and if so, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but we had no idea what we were doing when we started, and... You know, one of our patrons was just almost 13. The other one was, I don't know, upper 50s or or so, maybe higher. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, And then there was Chris and myself, who fall squarely between those two categories. <laughs> yes. um, and, uh, well, how, how do you set it up? What, what's the pitch? Um, well, like I said, you... Start with the beginning and end of your time. It's um, for us. It was the beginning of civilization and when everyone died. Um, so then we started. You start putting uh, events in the middle: uh, the rise of the serpent people, the fall of the serpent people, the uh, uprising of the slaves, the first great exodus. You start adding in events of whatever you want, and it fits any theme. It can be. When the humans took off for the stars, when we blew up the first sun, when we um, terraformed the first planet. You start throwing events in to build this world. You take turns doing it. So everyone builds on everyone's ideas. 
Uh, and the great thing about the game is if someone says it happened, it happened. Uh, if you've been spending the last 20 minutes building this great city and someone ends with, and then the nukes dropped, well, your city just disappeared. Mm. Um, you don't get to control history. It just happens. Right. And if you're playing Microscope as a standalone thing, I think that that is certainly much more palatable than if you are trying to build up a setting to run a game. Absolutely. Um, we uh, we kind of shanghaied it into an element it's not quite meant for. But if you just want to play Microscope, it is really like fiasco writ large for civilizations or towns or whatever. It's not, hey, I am playing this one person and you're playing that one person. And... And we're sort of building a small story. This is, um, they say microscope, but it really is, we're looking at the big old picture for for whatever the story of. In this case, it looks like what we're going to be doing is we'll be running a game after the fall of the Serpent Men Empire. And when the humans have scattered all over the uh, this giant supercontinent to, uh, to try and reclaim some vestige of civilization... And, uh, and plow through the old ruins of the Serpent People. Because it's going to be a fantasy campaign. Now, what did you think some of the stumbling blocks were in Microscope? Um, I'd say the biggest stumbling block is also its greatest strength. The open-endedness of the game. Um, you really don't have much of a direction when you start other than a start and an end. You can do whatever you want in the middle um, and especially when you're building scenes where you actually start zooming in on a very important character, a king or a uh, leader or something like that. Um, some players, I think, can find that very um, overwhelming to try and figure out what they want to do in this situation. Uh, but at the same time, it does give you the freedom to do anything you want. Right, right, right. And you've, you've really got to play this in sort of the Im improv sort of way, which is yes and. Right? You never want ha to have to say, no, no, we're not doing that because uh, that can put sort of the brakes on everybody's creativity, even if that thing that that person wants to do is dubious at best. But if they don't come quickly around to the decision that, yeah, well, maybe saying that gravity doesn't exist on this world is the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. um, but if you try and force them to turn course in it, then, then it's going to sort of leave a sour taste in everyone's mouth. Because one of the things we were picking up at the beginning, you start with things that do or don't exist, right? Yes, things you don't want and things you absolutely want, even if they don't make sense. Uh, one of the guys, because there were two halflings in the Ravenloft campaign who sort of overwhelmed everybody, uh, said no halflings right off the bat, just to be sort of petulant and punishing to uh, the, the, the fine and gentle halfling. Uh, gentle. And, and well... Potentially gentle is, is a race gentle, if not necessarily our two representative samples from the previous campaign. And instead of saying no halflings, which I think is really kind of a a very narrow sort of no. If he had said something that sort of built the world instead of a, your no's and your yeses sort of need to build the world. Yes. Instead of just saying, uh, you know, I don't want there to be a color purple. Like, OK, whatever. No purple. Which is not what happened with us, but... Uh, well, close to it. <laughs> um, Though a good example might be um, no vampires. You don't want vampires in your campaign. That's fine. It builds a story for your campaign. Um, right. Well, and, and actually that got changed too. It changed from no vampires to 
you know, no generic horror tropes. Yes. So we're not going to get vampires or werewolves or the mummy or any of those. We're going to have to play a little more briskly if we want to use undead as, as a theme. It, well, that's where the no's and yeses are great. It does let you define the world a little bit before you get started. Say, these are the things I'd really like to see in this world. And these are the things that just don't have a place or at the very least something we need to build around. It gives you a few points of structure to start your world. Give it a theme. Indeed. And and the yeses were um, that, uh, what were some of these? Oh, yeses. As I said that in, I tried to say there was no gravity, right? Because yeah. I was just irritated. And I was like, okay, that's dumb. I shouldn't shouldn't pick a thing because someone had, had, had made me irritated. Um, and so I changed it from, oh, it's a flat planet or there's no gravity or what have you. The gravity doesn't work. Or no, it was, that was the one. Because I got rid of the flat planet. And I said, the planet instead is built on the body of a dead god. All right? The planet is, you know, it's not a planet. It's a dead god. Yes. So we'll see what effect that has in the long term of the plan in the long term of the campaign, or if it's ever even brought up again, because it wasn't brought up really during the rest of our history. No, but it is one of those little elements that you can play with if you want, uh, but you don't have to if it just doesn't come up. If it doesn't come up, right. Um, it's like, yes, we all know that there's this dead god that we're walking around on top of. But maybe our characters don't. <laughs> and maybe they discover that at some time during play. And, oh, that'll be exciting. I can't wait for that. Uh, speaking of play... As we said, we're using Microscope to build this world that we want to play in. We have this idea of a persistent RPG where it's a much more open format. It lets players drop in and out, with, as here at the library uh, we've seen. Players see us playing, and they want to get involved. Um, the closed campaigns gave us trouble with that, but this format should allow people to drop in and out game by game, absolutely. Um and so we're trying to build a format where you can get multiple GMs to play together, um, multiple players, different players every time. Um, and Microscope helped us build that world. So now we're trying to uh, move to the system we're using, Dungeon World and right. Funnel World. Right, right, right. And so before we get into the actual system, let's talk a little bit more about sort of how we want to set up for other players to come in. We've got um, Chris and I are, well, wow, of course. I just realized we've both won GMing champ, you know, tournaments and stuff. And so we're excited to be able to run games here for the patrons. And that's great. We also have one of our patrons, a um, younger patron here, who wants to jump in and run games. And he's, for his age, he's really pretty good. All right. And then uh, we have another gentleman who's sort of a grumpy old cuss who we like, but uh, he also wants to jump in and run games. And we thought, you know, instead of setting it down so that one person is going to run a game week in, week out, which was really kind of a burden on Stephanie because if she had plans for a weekend or if she wasn't going to be here at work that weekend or what have you, then I was like, ah, do I want to come in and run Ravenloft or, uh, you know, do I have time to plan during the week because we're working on all this grant stuff? That the way that our game is set up and the way that our structure is, I'll have some scenarios ready to run. Chris will have some scenarios ready to run. And so will the other two GMs probably. So that if we have more than one table's worth of people, we can break out into smaller groups. Or um, if I'm like, ah, guys, I just didn't have time to prep. One of the other two GMs or three GMs should have something ready to run. A lot of the games are trying to run. They're more um, almost one-shot style. 
um, matches. They can build off of each other. We're trying to get it to be smaller, more contained games so that... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does allow that kind of thing. Think Monster of the Week, not the big subplot in X-Files. Yes. It's like you want to know, be able to jump in and figure out stuff as your characters are figuring it out without necessarily having to have five seasons worth of backstory shoved down your throat before you know what's happening. Yes. Um, you don't need an expedition exposition dump for the players or new players when they come in to jump, jump in the game. Though they're going to get that because our background is kind of strange. Yes. Well, the other thing that we're thinking of doing is, yeah, so each we want to get a full scenario done, if possible, each session. So think of it like a, if you know conventions, convention scenarios are usually four to five hours. We realize that won't always happen, but it would be great if they could get their adventure done and then they go back to the tavern or their hometown or their farm or their whatever. They do their off-season stuff and then they come back in and 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 do the next scenario when they're ready to do it. Yes. Now, what do, what do you think we're going to sacrifice when we do that? Um, I do think we sacrifice certain elements. Um, a lot of games are going to have to build up to a single conflict point or a single resolution point um kind of like a television show honestly um where every episode is here's what you're doing you do the one thing uh maybe you get one little side bit uh, and then that's the end of it so we do have to plan around things like that so we do sacrifice some larger plot points um some multi-arced uh enemies and such Right. Though it's entirely possible that we may sort of build in that direction. And then maybe at the end of this, we'll have one or two scenarios where it's for the people who have previously played before. Yes. I mean, there will be times where we'll have the ability to maybe pull a game over two days or three days, um, though, or two to three weeks, though we're not sure fully how we want to incorporate that just yet. Right, it's like when we do spring break, it would be nice to run a game every day during spring break. Absolutely, you know. and that could be a decent little campaign in of itself. So, and and to do all this, we thought, well, we should pick a game that sort of fits it. Yes, sure, we're sort of stealing a little bit from Pendragon, which is one of my favorite games, and it's the one that has every scenario takes place, and then the year ends, and then you level up your characters, or you do whatever it is you need to do, and you learn about your family and all that kind of nonsense. But in this case, um, we are just sort of stealing that, and we're going to shove that straight into a game that's powered by the Apocalypse, uh, which is Dungeon World. And uh, what do you know about Dungeon World, Chris? Um, I'm not fully familiar with Dungeon World. Um, <laughs> so who's not going to be running the first session? Chris Probably is me. But I do know Dungeon World um, is a great uh, machine to run this with. Uh, it does very easily allow the dropping in and out of characters and such. Right. Um, now, yeah. So the cool thing about dungeon world is it's sort of got a fantasy trope base. People are going to recognize a lot of stuff that's there. Um, but also it, it has fronts. So it's got a neat way to develop a campaign where it says, this is, these are the kind of the issues that we're going to be dealing with pointing in this direction. And it's going to be possible for each of the GMs to sort of say, this is the front that I want to work on. These are the kinds of elements that I'm going to build into my game so that players can say, oh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that interests me. Um, and it also deals with the property of open maps, which means you leave space on the map. And 
if you're looking for something that and it's not on the map, then you and the GM can say, well, where would the blacksmith be? Or you you, you heard there's this magic kingdom. Where can we put it on this the map of the countryside? That kind of thing. And so it really is. It allows a lot of player impact on sort of where things are going. But it also allows the GM enough control that they can actually run a scenario. And the scenario starters that I use for Dungeon World are one page front and back usually. Because if I do any more prep than that, I can't keep track of all my notes. So Dungeon World should be a good middle of the road uh, for various GMs. The ones who want more of a railroad style gameplay. Or the ones who want it to be much more freeform and off the rails. Right-o. Um, and to get us started, we're going to start with uh, one of the aspects or one of the things that's available on DriveThruRPG called Funnel World, where players make up uh, villagers who are probably not going to survive the adventure that they go through. But with any luck, each of the players will have one of their villagers who survived till the end, and then they become a first level character. So it's like, oh, I've gone from a cheesemonger to a ranger. Uh, based on the things I did during the game or the interests I've shown or the aptitudes that I've had. Um, or I found a spell book, kind of very interested in wizardry, so I've become a mage of some sort. And it's going to allow that sort of strike the fear and terror of the, the immediately perishable character with the, oh, this is so cool, all of a sudden now I have access to cool stuff and I've become important. So as we continue with this um, idea or idea of an idea... Um, we will give updates on how this is going. Um, at the current point, this is about as much as we understand about this right. plan. And, and our hope is that we'll come up with some tools like, oh, here's how we deal with the between character, between adventure stuff. Here's how we do this. And a lot of it's going to be ad hoc until we come up with a formalized process and then it will continue on. And so hopefully you will hear this grow as it continues and I imagine we'll make up our own playbooks, which is what you call character classes in Dungeon World. So the Barbarian has a playbook, the Wizard, the Ranger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it'll learn, turn that some of the players are, and GMs have their own player characters and that kind of stuff. They just Hopefully we don't abuse that privilege when we're running our own sessions. Well, we'll find out as we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows? Who knows how this will happen? So that's our persistent RPG experiment. Like I said, we'll let you know how it goes. Um, if you've done this before or have ideas, please let us know. Head on over to our guild on Board Game Geek. We'll put the link in the show notes. Or you can drop us an email. Also, link in the show notes. So, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. And you've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about the show and the people who create it by going over to inversegenius.com, where you can find our About page, or you can find all the other cool podcasts, such as on board games, on RPGs, the Room Escape Divas, on mini games, and the Inverse Genius Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show, please shoot us a note with whatever your idea for topic is as far in advance as possible, because, hey, sometimes we fill up. Thank you for listening.